Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. This is Zenith That Podcast, where ritual murder is only one of our nasty habits because this week we watched Games. Written by Bill Lyons. Directed by Vivienne Cousins. Cousins. And aired on November 16th, 1981. Pretty sure it's Cousins in reference to Blake and Inga. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not going to let the show live that one down. I don't think we should. That's, uh... Something that should never be forgotten, kind of like Dana and Justin. <laughs> I remember, I'm going to act second time through. <laughs> I'm going to act like I remember his name, and that this and isn't the second. The and that, and that this isn't the second time of recording the first three minutes of this episode, and we looked it up during those three minutes. I'm going to act like I remembered his name completely, <laughs> because it's like one of the few like normal names in this show. Good man, Justin. Was he really a good no. man? <laughs> He was the opposite. He did genetic experiments on things that used to be humans, tried to basically sleep with his former student who is a good solid yeah, tried, 20 years younger than him. Yeah, tried to get into some, to just, yeah, yeah, tried to get into some statutory there, you know. <laughs> so, that's Justin. In a nutshell. <laughs> that should have just been a whole <laughs> animals episode right there. <laughs> Anyway, I saw the title of this episode, you know, Games, and I was like, man, wonder what that could refer to. Then I watched the episode, and I was like, man, really wish this episode had been completely different. <laughs> and it's not that I disliked the whole episode, either. I, I liked the beginning of this episode. I liked the end of this episode. It was about the middle, approximately one-third, that lost me. <laughs> I mean, the part with no games? <laughs> well, that and the part that has Servaland in it, ironically enough. It was, a, it was more like the middle, like, four-fifths. I don't know. The middle four-fifths? Yeah. Whoa. Or like, it was a, it was more than a third. It was like they had some games at the beginning and some at the end, a bunch at the end. <laughs> well, so right off the bat, my first note for this is this sounds like a Doctor Who episode because Avon basically comes on screen and he goes, all right, guys, we need to find these super powerful crystals that contain like billions of kilojoules of energy in them, the most powerful crystals in the universe called Feldon crystals. By the way, they're worth a fortune. <laughs> yeah, and this is funny because when Avon drops the info that they're super powerful, Villa's like, yeah, whatever. And then he, he tells them that they're worth a fortune. Villa's like, all right, sign me up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course. And I don't know, did you notice in this scene that yet again, Paul Darrow was kind of throwing a wrench in things with how fast he was talking, how much he was overpowering everyone else, and all that? I noticed it a little later in this episode. It's a problem, definitely, throughout the episode, I think. Yeah, this is one of those episodes. Yeah. It might be one of those episodes where the director didn't feel like they had enough authority to tell Paul Darrow to just shut up for five seconds and let people talk. And, you know, people have told us that the latter half of Series D gets better, but, I mean, you know, both in terms of the writing and Sulin doing more and maybe Avon toning it down a little bit. But I don't know, man. Like, I'm... I'm not well, This is episode it. eight, and I'm not seeing it yet, so... I mean, there have been gems in Series D, I think. Yeah, there have. Headhunter was really good. Yeah, Headhunter was definitely one of them. And, you know, I wouldn't say that... Uh, what was the first episode of this? Rescue? First yeah, episode Rescue. Yeah. I'd say Rescue also is up there. I think yeah. that was a really good episode. Yeah, Rescue, definitely. I think a lot of the other ones weren't even like that bad. I, I think, what was the one that was really bad? I think it was... 
Trader. Trader was really bad. Uh, and the one after Trader was pretty bad. But yeah. then besides that, the other ones I just thought were like kind of mediocre. Yeah. Which so. again, we've said this before, but mediocre episodes on Blake 7 stand out because most of the episodes are Good. above average. Yeah. yeah. This episode, I'd say, is probably mediocre too. Again, yeah. though, I really liked the beginning and end and the <laughs> middle is where it lost me. But I thought this was like a Doctor Who episode right off the bat because, you know, Doctor Who was always like in the 70s was like, we're trying to find a new power source source that's going to power the entirety of England. We're going to sell it and make tons of money and take over the world. You know, we had Inferno where they were <laughs> drilling to the center of the earth. We had the one with Tom Tit, <laughs> which Time Monster, I think it was. I don't remember Time what we're talking something. about at all. But you don't remember Tom Tit? Nope. You remember Tom Tit? I'm going to go with it because I don't remember. Wow, I can't believe you, don't, you forgot Tom Tit. That was the episode with the time flow analog in it. Yeah, that was the time monster. Yeah, it's Tom Tit. <laughs> the main thing in my memory from that episode is, is Tom Tit, Kronos. <laughs> main thing and in the my time flow analog. The time flow analog. So you know, right off the bat, Avon's coming in like we got to find this power source, and I'm like, all right, this is Doctor <laughs> Who, right? This but is- it's not the first time Blake Seven has done this. I mean, we had Dawn of the Gods, we had. Other one where they were looking for a power source that was the <laughs> other one where they were looking for the power source. Uh, Star Drive, which I'm noticing on this wiki page, they dropped the T, so it's Star Drive. Nice going. <laughs> well, the Blake Seven wiki isn't all that. It's professional. It's not even that. It's just not good. <laughs> uh, but you know, also off the top here, I want to talk about. Uh, I think it was. Who was it? David, who mentioned that there was a dropped plot line for the season. Yes. That they were going to be looking for these experts, which we kind of picked up on. And I'm starting to wonder if that plot line was actually dropped, because I don't think it was. Well, I think probably what was dropped was the explicit mention of like, all right, we're going to be looking for these professionals to recruit them to our cause. This explicit explanation of right. what's going on. Because it seems like they're still doing that, just without ever explicitly stating that that's their mission. Yeah. In this one, they're looking for Belkov, not because he's a genius, but because he happens to own all the freaking crystals. Because he's rich. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, right away, because we see Belkov at the beginning of this episode, and I was like, is this another one of Ensor's apprentices? <laughs> but no, it's not. It's it's Belkov. Well, you see his computer that looks sort of like a like Zen and Orak had a baby. I, re- I really like the computer's design. It has Gambit. like these hexagonal things in it. Right, it's named Gambit. <laughs> Which is like confusing, confusing because Gambit is a, an episode of Blake Seven. So it's like what? I was just thinking, like, man, what if this computer was named like Dawn of the Gods or like Voice from the Past? <laughs> you imagine that, like, all right, Voice from the Past, put put this up on the view screen. <laughs> what if it was named Spacefall? Hey, Spacefall. <laughs> yeah, I fe- I've. I actually didn't. It didn't even process that its name was Gambit till the end of the episode, and then I was like, "Wait, a, wait a minute, hang, hang on a second there." I thought it was Eureka because uh, Belkov says yeah. Eureka a couple times, and it seems like he's saying it in reference to the machine. That's probably why I didn't pick up on it till the end because I didn't like get that it was Gambit till right at the end when he tells it to kill itself. Right. And again, my mind immediately went to the Eureka Seven connection, but no, what's name wasn't Eureka. <laughs> I have a couple of questions here. I mean, not questions. I do have questions. I'm going to get to it in a second. A couple of philosophical questions about this episode. Uh, I do. Uh, one of them is that uh, can games be considered work? 
no, I was going to say I have a couple of references that my mind went to while watching this episode that I want to bring up later on. That I think uh, things that were that this episode reminded me of that came after this episode, so they probably the other way around. But anyway, anyway, they what happens is Avon decides they're going to go to this planet, and it's called ah, shoot. What's the planet named now? There's a dumb black hole in this too that I want to get to. Mecron two or Micron, I think. Yeah, and this is there's some convoluted stuff in this episode with how they maneuver this planet. And it would be real nice to have a diagram of all this stuff, which we don't get until the very end. Well, so basically they're going because they get this message from this guy. And Garen. his name is Garen. And he was basically playing the games, but he escaped. And Right, because we get this scene of people three playing guys games. playing this game that is going to allow them to get into a get through a lock, basically. Yeah. And what it is, is it's like a mirror image of yourself or like a video of yourself. But it shoots you and you have to shoot it before it shoots you. Yeah. And, and if, if it, it shoots, shoots you, you, you die. You die. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing. The first two people fail. The third guy succeeds once and then just Garen, he dodges the gunshot because he misses. Right. And then he runs away. But he does yeah, he gets shot though. He, yeah, so he, gets hit he doubles over shoulder. in pain, but he he makes it out. I think I think it's the shoulder. I think when Avon picks him up, they say it's the shoulder. It's somewhere non fatal. Although he dies in the most unceremonious way, the most Blake 7 way possible later on. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is the most Blake 7 ending, too. <laughs> We're going to get there. So, you know, they go to this planet and they pick up well, Garen. They yeah, pick up Garen. Garen sends them this message, I believe. That says, hey, there's a whole ton of these Felcron crystals inside this this orbiting. They call it the orbiter for the whole episode, but it's really just a satellite. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say I was really sure of what the orbiter even was. It was kind of like, it was the satellite. Because that was the whole thing is that at some point now when Avon beams everybody down and it's just him on the ship with Orac and Dana, Dana stays on the ship with with Avon, right? No, she goes down. They all go down down. eventually. But before they go to the orbiter, I think Avon stays on the ship with Sulin or Dana. It was one of the two. I not, can't not remember. Remembering. I can't remember honestly. And he puts he puts the Scorpio in an orbit between the planet and the orbiter, so that way. No, sorry. He between puts the moon it, and the, I don't know. He what puts it, was. it. He puts it so that the planet is between Scorpio and the orbiter, because the orbiter is what's being used to scan the nearby space, and Avon wants to stay hidden because he doesn't want Servalan. To know that he's there, so he puts himself opposite the planet from the orbiter. They've done this before, but they explain it in the worst way possible in this episode right. because they explain it differently than before. But because Avon calls it like habits so of the planet is eclipsing well, the orbiter in our orbit. Well, it's really just a matter of I wasn't sure what the orbiter even was. It was like a little satellite. Yeah, but the thing is, I think if I if I'm correct, Servalan is detecting their location. Servland would be able to, d- to detect their location using the orbiter. Yeah. But Belkov knows that they're there already. Yeah, but then when they move Scorpio to the other side of the planet, Belkov can't detect them either, and they can't use the orbiter to detect the Scorpio, which is the thing because that's what Belkov tells Tarrant that his buddies have ditched him. And yeah, Tarrant's that's like, how, I don't buy that's it. how they trick Belkov into thinking they just left. Yeah. But anyway, so Servalan now is 
on the planet and she gets revealed in the most unceremonious <laughs> way possible because it just cut just hard cuts to a shot of her just kind of striding into a room going all right belkov well, it's me commissioner slayer well we see this scene of some mine workers yeah they look like look pretty laid back you know just on the job or whatever not working games. too hard they play games but we find out that belkov has like completely subjugated these people <laughs> <laughs> yeah belkov not a good guy. No, I think Belkov is pretty much like the most explicitly bad person we've had. The most explicitly bad person that they've tried to recruit to their cause? Well, maybe except Justin. Well. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I don't know. Is Belkov worse than Justin? Depends if you consider doing genetic experiments on humans worse than subjugating an entire mind race and making them work for you. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to both can them both in like the bad can. <laughs> Probably the <laughs> smartest way possible. Anyway, what happens then is that Serverland... Blackston was innocent. <laughs> Sorry. Serverland, who's using her Commissioner Slayer alias still, comes yeah. down and is like, Belkov, look, we need the crystals. We need the crystals, Belkov. <laughs> Belkov's like, no, 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 no. Not unless you pay me. And she's like, well, this mine used to belong to the Federation. You just stole it when the Federation <laughs> fell apart. And he's like, yeah, well, I own the mine now, so what are you going to do? She calls in her guards, and the guards have guns. And Belkov's like, ah, I see. Serverland says something like, you expect the Federation to pay for something you stole from the Federation? And he's like, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> yeah, Belkov is kind of like a far less intimidating, far less powerful jigsaw when you think about it. <laughs> Well, Gambit's the real brains of the operation here. She's the one who does... I assume she's a she because she talks in a female voice. Well, we've called Orak and Zen he for the entire show, and they're not technically male. They're just computers, so might as well just call Gambit she. She talks with what sounds like a female voice, and there's an implication that there is a relationship of greatest... is banging his computer... <laughs> Okay, I was going to try to say it more tactfully than that. <laughs> but in essence... Kind of like that robot from Rocky IV. <laughs> but yes, there is that kind of implication in this episode that we can't ignore. We can ignore, actually. Can. Yeah, we can. What am I saying? Yeah, we can. <laughs> and Servalan... Belkov basically proposes a counteroffer. He says, well, what if I could give you, like, some fugitives? And Servalan's like, well, what fugitives are you talking about? And he says, well, I know Avon and Tarrant and the whole crew is here on the planet right now. And she's like, you could never capture them. And he's like, I bet you I could capture them in 12 hours. And she's like, all right, game on. <laughs> she's like, communicate where I should meet them, basically. Or like where I should teleport in to take custody of them. Right. And here's where the, the episode kind of... Drags. Yeah, I would say so. Well, let's just talk about this setting because I think this setting actually... Uh, improves the episode rather than hinders it because mm -hmm. yeah it's a quarry yes it's a mine but it's um, supposed but it's, to be a mine but for it's once. it's yeah <laughs> that too but it's seaside it's on cliffs mm -hmm. which was interesting right I, I mean 
you know, maybe this is just sort of like a Stockholm-esque thing of like, it's not a quarry, yes! <laughs> but <laughs> Seaside quarry! It's, it's slightly better than normal, this is great! It's a better quarry! But I mean, it it's was, like a B it was quarry fun. instead of an F. <laughs> it was like a low D instead of like just a solid, solid fail. F. I don't think quarries really, are failures. I mean, I really like this the orbiter set where the crystals are kept. I think that was really good with the, you know, the set where we see the shoot yourself and then the yeah. I do. I, I like the all door. the sets in this. I like that. I like Belkov's command room. That is really unique and looks really nice. Yeah, and it's really well executed. I think, but basically, then. Oh, right, it was Garen who went down with them, duh. Yeah, Garen went down with them. So did Villa, but Avon eventually beams Villa back up. The whole group's been trying to contact Avon for the whole time. Because Avon doesn't tell them about the plan. Yeah, Avon doesn't tell them they moved Scorpio to the other <laughs> side of the planet where he's out of communications range, and they're all, like, panicking. It's like, where's Avon? Why is he not communicating? <laughs> eventually, Villa is able to communicate with Avon, and he asks Avon to beam him up because there's people coming his way to kill him, and he beams him up. And then they go right back down. But there's yeah. also this, there's a bunch of like running around and shooting people that we were just glossing over. Well, there's, also, there's other scenes in here too that are kind of important. That uh, There's at least one that I want to mention because in order for Avon to teleport Villa up, he, he actually needs Villa to go steal a circuit board from Gambit. Yeah. And Sulin and Tarrant and Dana. I'm, ah, yeah, Dana. Dana get, get, they get captured. Dana gets, I don't remember. I think Dana gets sent down halfway through the operation. or I don't know, actually. Dana, by the way, is still wearing, uh, Josette Zyman, that is, mm-hmm. is still wearing, they're still putting her in very heavy makeup. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't really match her outfit this week, which is why. It, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't really matter in it any way. Ma- it but like, it's just, it's, it it's something that you notice. Also, Sulin's hair is actually starting to do some pretty weird stuff. Because <laughs> they it's ran like, through all the, like, <laughs> obvious ones in the past <laughs> six weeks. This episode she has, like, sort of a... I don't know what you do. It looks like a little metal ring that's on, that she has on top of her head. Yeah. And, like, her hair's combed her hair's back, kinda, but it's, yeah, like, it's, in two different it's little parted, things. parted, like, in the middle, yeah. Yeah. Kind of looks like it's been parted. Looks very strange. Now, if I remember correctly, Dana is down on the planet with Tarrant. Sulin... Where's Sulin? Ah! Anyway, Villa has to go get this circuit board before he can get beamed up. There's also, there's this subplot too of, well, one, getting, them getting captured, but also someone who's been killing people with the little boomerang looking thing. Just games. They're just playing games. Just, I don't even remember like what that was all about. But I think it's implied that Belkov is keeping the miners in line by making them play these deadly games if they get out of line. Sure, which is an interesting idea, I guess. I think it's a really interesting idea because he's using, you know, games, which are supposed to be fun, to keep these people in line doing this menial labor. Of course, you could argue that Belkov is getting great enjoyment from watching these people play these games, so he's having fun. Right, this is this all goes back i guess technically forward to like a topic that's big now in business i guess which is not interesting but whatever is like the gamification of work with like management software that turns your work into like 
games and get or like somehow or like gives you a little checklist or you know gives gives you I don't know there's there's tons of ways different programs do it but well not even that like the gamification of learning the gamification oh yeah, oh, yeah. of just like life in general everything is being gamified now you want to learn a language just gamification of that duolingo gamifies that to the extreme right running personal exercise work learning it's all being gamified to be fair there are studies that show that when you do it like that it it does at least for learning increase the effectiveness of the learning i guess but at yeah, the same time, the this same is, time, is this learning for the ADHD generation? And God, I feel so old, like, saying that. <laughs> and I'm not, like, I don't know. But, I mean, you know, the other thing about that is, is did that in turn actually increase the number of occurrences of ADHD in youth? Yeah. Like, does society cause... ADHD by gamifying things like that and reducing the required attention spans for things? Or is gamification simply a response to a greater awareness of ADHD? And I don't necessarily know if there's a straightforward answer to that. I think it could be a little bit of both. Yeah, sure, sure. But it is a big movement in society now to gamify things and things like gamifying people want to gamify the polls or the elections or try to get more people to go out and vote and it's just i don't know you know and this episode i think points to something that people are and should be thinking about right now is like is this a bread and circus type thing is this a way to keep people in line or is this being Mm -hmm. used for if not intentionally nefarious purposes things that are bad like in a way that's bad for us in general you know that boomerang thing was really cool, though. Yeah, you know, I'll give him that. That boomerang was pretty awesome. Really but underutilized. What I really wanted to talk about here in the middle was a scene that I found really interesting for for a lot of reasons. Because Avon says a lot of things in this scene. And I think pretty much everything he says in the scene is interesting. But he talks with Orac. And he asks Orac to find out information on Gambit, the computer. And Orak basically says that he's having difficulty reading information from Gambit. Uh, but he says that Gambit is kind of, it used to be a, like 137 model Confederation computer. And Avon's like, yeah, so it should be easy. And then Orak's like, well, no, it used to be that. Now it's kind of like a hodgepodge of other computers. And then Avon says, this is the first line I think is really interesting. He says to Orak, you've read information of Federation computers before. This computer is just an amalgamation of multiple, of five of them. Yeah. You should be able to read information off of it. And I think that's that's interesting because it almost gets at this kind of ship of Theseus thing, which I'm, I'm sure I've described the ship of Theseus. Uh, yeah, you have. Paradox. On Trust Your Doctor. I'm not sure if I've done it on Zenith, yeah, but I'm pretty sure have. I have. Yeah. But if you're just tuning in, the short version of it, <laughs> I feel like it's worth it to explain just quickly. Yeah. If you have a ship, your thesis had a ship, and basically you replace a plank from it when the plank rots through. Uh, and you know, eventually you've replaced every plank on the ship with a new one. And the question is, is that ship still the original ship if every plank has been replaced with a new one? And that's kind of... You know, what I thought or what I thought of when Avon said this line about this computer just being an amalgamation of other computers and Orac 
originally refers to it straight as this, this one thirty seven computer, but then Avon says, well, so why can't you read it? And Oracle says, well, it's an amalgamation of multiple computers now. But uh, Orac also has this line where he he hints at Gambit developing its own personality, maybe because of that. Yeah. So that's the other thing that I think ties into this. That I think actually, I think, is interesting when you consider it, uh, when you apply it to Orac, because Orac. This is one of the things that I basically loved about this episode was the scene with Avon and Orac. I thought it was okay. great. All right. Because, because Avon is talking with Orac and Orac says, well, it's difficult also to read things off the computer because of the personality of the person who built the computer or the personality of the person who made modifications to the computer. Uh, Ironic, I guess, then in a sense, because Orac is so difficult himself. Yeah, so that's what I was going to get at is that, is that Orac has become a lot more sassy due to like during its time with the liberator crew and i think that's interesting because it it kind of implies this this growing sassiness on the part of orac maybe due to avon being the one who primarily interacts with modifies fixes i was gonna say yeah probably and so interestingly it kind of sets up this thing where orac has kind of become this digital mirror to avon almost whereas you know avon really hates technology or sentient technology like Orac. I mean, Orac, Avon loves technology because he can hack it, but, but someone's going to make him money. Yeah. <laughs> if it's sentient like Orac, Avon sits there like, man, this is like not okay. Like this makes me uncomfortable kind of thing. And you get this mirror in Orac where Orac's like, well, I don't really care about humans. I mean, my job is to give you predictions and help you do whatever you want to do. But humans like don't matter to me because I'm a higher life form. They can do more, right? Well, this is another way in which Blake 7 is like actually ahead of its time because I know a lot of not only science fiction, but actually just, I don't know what you would call it, theory nowadays is mm-hmm. concerned with like the human mind. And this is especially due to smartphones, but the human mind being taken out of your body. Right. Like your, and this is a romantic way of saying it, but almost your memory being like in a computer in your pocket instead of your own, instead of like in your head, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, that gets into a real philosophical question. It's like, what is consciousness? Is consciousness just the sum of your memories or is it something deeper? Like if you took someone's memories and, and put them in a computer, would that be your consciousness or like what is consciousness kind of thing? And then the the final line that I want to mention that Avon said, and you know, I don't know what all of this is supposed to be implying. I'm just talking about my reading of it. He says a line, you know, or- Orac says that, with the improvements, Gambit is, is I think, better than what it was when it started. And Avon says, well, that makes sense. Computers always improve. Which I just thought was an interesting line because, you know, kind of like, you know, how the headhunter in Headhunter, <laughs> the robot that was better than Orac in every way because it could walk, you know, that wasn't really, like, built until well after Orac was. So if you think of it like that, it does seem like a natural progression that computers are improving in the Blake 7 universe. Sure. Yeah, that's a nice little, I guess, touch there. I don't know. I just really like the scene. So I like kind of all these computer-based ideas as technological ideas that Elon and Orac were kind of spitting out. And I like this idea that, that Orac is becoming sort of a an artificial mirror to Avon. Yeah, I like that idea too. And you know, we've we've sort of made fun of Blake Seven for this in the past. It's like, well, when did, we've never heard of like this awesome supercomputer before, and it's coming out of nowhere. But like, you think about years have passed since episode yeah. one. 
I mean, yeah, I even made fun of it in this episode. One of my notes is, is that seriously another supercomputer? <laughs> but like when you think of it in the context of series A was probably at least four to five, yeah, maybe six so. years ago, depending how long the intergalactic war was, right? That it would make sense that more of these are going to be coming out. It's going to be more widespread knowledge. And the thing is, Belkov is aware of ORAC. One of the things Belkov asks for in exchange for handing over Avon and Tarrant and the rest of the crew is he wants ORAC. Yeah, and that's actually another thing about Series D is, you know, Series A and B, Blake acted like a a big shot, right? And we, we right. got the impression that, like, they were off doing their, and this is going off on, a, I think, another tangent away from mm-hmm. the sort of technology stuff, but is like, on screen, did we really see them succeed all that much? Did we really see them do all that much? <laughs> and, like, Series D, we see them, like, get away with a lot, and yet it's so understated. Yeah. And then we get these characters who are like, yo, it's Avon and Taryn. Oh, shoot. And like, but yet somehow we don't get the impression. Maybe this is because it's just a holdover from Series C in a way. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's, I don't know, like we don't get the impression here from the Scorpio crew themselves that they're that big of a deal. Well, I think there's almost supposed to be sort of a dramatic irony in this in that we're beating all these people who are like panicked that Avon and Tarrant or, or whatever are showing up. And I think it's supposed to be this, but then we, you contrast that with the fact that they're in this raggedy old bucket <laughs> of bolts that can't do jack, right? And I think it's supposed to be like they're only working off this information, you know, from Series C. If you think about it, in Series C, Avon and Tarrant are a pretty devastating crew to run across. Yeah, I mean, yeah, actually, when you think about it, system's completely destroyed, probably. Yeah. The war has decimated, like, everyone. Yeah. The Federation is wiped. The, <laughs> the Federation's wiped out. I don't think we ever actually articulated this, but they're, like, the Liberator crew in Series C is, like, probably the most powerful bunch of people in the galaxy. Yeah, and that's why I think they're supposed to be kind of this... You know, I don't know if irony is the right word, but we get these people who are like almost in awe, you sh- shock and awe that Avon and Tarrant are showing up, but then you contrast it with like their current state right now. Almost I think die like every five yeah, minutes. I think that's yeah. sort of an intentional choice that we see these people who are still working off this knowledge of what they were like before the big fall, so to speak. And now, we, and then we see our intrepid heroes running around like failing. Yeah. Like, when was the last time they actually came out of a story with a big success last week? Star Drive. Yeah, well, Star Drive. In Assassin, they almost get killed. They don't even get Serverland out of that, which they were trying to. In Headhunter, they want this great robot, which they have to blow up at the end of the story. Well, that was all on Tarrant. That was on Tarrant and Dana, but still, like, Star Drive, they actually get the Star Drive, but Avon kills that scientist. Blackston was innocent. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, like, Scorpio crew is a lot less successful, but they're getting all this praise holdover from yeah. Series C. Yeah, you know, quick question. I think I know the answer to this, but did Servland ever, like, question or point out, like, hey, wait a minute, I thought all you guys were dead. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think she just rolled with it. She was just like, well, if I survived, I guess they would survive too. Because <laughs> at least we got the Liberator crew going, wait a minute, Servland's alive, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he asks Villa to go steal this circuit board from Gambit, and this is one of the main reasons why I think that Belkov and Gambit may be doing something related to the horizontal tango because he asks Gambit to self-destruct as soon as he has like run away because basically he traps Tarrant and Dana because he, he he's kind of acting as a free agent here because he 
tell Serverland the location where Tarrant and Dana are, but it's actually like a temple that's like sacred to the native people on the planet. So Serverland's going to go there and get attacked. But then he doesn't actually let Dana and Tarrant escape. He captures them. Garen gets shot in all of this. Yeah, Dana tries to, you know, save him or see if check if he's even still alive. And Tarrant's like, no, we can't waste any time. And he pulls her away. Yeah, she, or he, sorry, takes a bullet and just eats it. Yeah. Very but, Blake 7 death. But yeah, so Belkov is running away now with his crystals. And, and then Villa gets into the main base and he overhears Belkov telling the computer to self-destruct. And this is, you know, the first indication things are weird because Villa says, you know, if I, if my, uh, you know, loved one or my friend told me to just kill myself when I was done doing what I was going to do, you know, I wouldn't really comply with it as, as easily as you would. And, and Gambit kind of goes, you know, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, wait a minute. Is Villa the one who who puts this idea in Gambit's head in the first yeah. place? Yeah, I huh. think I think that's su- wow. supposed to be the, the, the implication here. Wow. There's a couple of interesting things with Orac and Gambit, where Orac ref, uh, references the Oracle at Delphi, another Greek myth. Would you call it a myth? Well, the the place is real. Yeah, but like um, the but like the the. The veracity of like its actual supernatural power yeah. is debatable, I guess. The the legend of the myth of the oracle, where you could it would tell the truth, it would answer. What is it? It would what answer it, you, but in like a really off way. It would answer your questions truthfully, but it wouldn't tell the truth. So you had to answer. You had to ask the right question to get the answer you were looking for. Yeah, that's what it was. And Orac has to do the same thing to get information out of Gambit. Right. Wow, another kind of Greek thing. Which is kind of weird when you think about it. Maybe there's a lot more that we're missing rooted in Greek Greek mythology in this episode. Well, I mean, Gambit, like Orac, is a predictive computer. Right. Although much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Orac is kind of doing the villa thing where he's just like, really hope people don't use me to my full potential. Well, then Avon convinces Orac to do it by throwing heavy shade at Orac he's like oh so Gambit's better then and Orac's like no you just have to ask the right question and Avon's like so you're losing then and Orac's like to an inferior computer and Orac's like uh 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 <laughs> what are the other Greek things in this well there's that kind of reference we said to the, the Herculean trials oh, right, at the right, end right, of the yeah. episode mm-hmm. of this too huh yeah interesting wow but anyway, Villa frees Dana and Tarrant, and he's like, I'm your one-man backup crew. And they're like, wow, thanks, Villa. And then they all beam up to Scorpio, and then they all beam down to the, the orbiter. Because that's the thing, is the orbiter is like an orbiting vault for the crystals. Right, that are supposedly there. That are supposedly there, but then apparently not there, but then supposedly are there. And, but uh, they are, I mean, like, yeah. That was the thing is like, it was supposed to be like, haha, they're there, but then haha, they're not, but they actually are. So that was just a bluff. <sighs> so they play the, the little shooting game. Yeah. So that's the thing is what's interesting about this orbit is that they, these games were all designed basically be defeated by individual members of the, the Scorpio crew. Each one is tailored yeah. to a strength of each crew member. Which means Except Belkov Dana, knows who about- stays behind on Scorpio. Yeah, which means Belkov knows about Sulin. I guess the shooting one could be for either Dana or Sulin. Yeah, might have been for Dana. And we don't know also if Belkov necessarily constructed this specifically for them, even though it's implied through some of Avon's dialogue that it is. Yeah, and this is where Sulin does her, like, one thing this episode. <laughs> yeah, she's like, stand aside, know, I'm, boys. I'm so disappointed at, like, 
because this is episode eight, more than halfway through the season, and right. this is it for Sulin. Yeah. It's not looking too hot for Sulin. No. no, it's not. This whole sequence reminded me of an episode of Warehouse 13 where they're breaking into an old warehouse and it just so happened that every task there was perfectly tailored to be beaten by one person on the team. This is also like something that's appeared multiple times throughout many things that I've seen, yeah. but Warehouse 13 was the first one I thought of. Isn't there only two people on Warehouse 13? No, there's four. Oh. Huh, okay. It was yeah, four watched, by the time this episode aired. I've watched a couple episodes Warehouse 13. Warehouse 13 podcast win. <laughs> it's not that good of a show. <laughs> and Doctor Who in the 80s was? Doctor Who has a legacy that you have to <laughs> engage with. You have to engage with. Yes. Mm. Everyone has to. And if well. they're not, then they're just not living their lives correctly. Oh, I thought you were going to say then we should kill them. Like you're... <laughs> Your dystopian society was like, if you haven't based watched Doctor, Doctor Who, then you die. This is my dystopian society based on Doctor Who. <laughs> really subjugate the BBC. Even the whole point of Doctor Who was that, like, to rise up and defeat dystopians. <laughs> but so they they defeat the shooting game, which Sulin does, and then they reach a flight simulator and Terrence like, I got this. <laughs> but then his like retro thrusters get blown out and it's like, if you land, you'll get 30% more points and Terrence like, no, no, I'll go for orbit. Did they ever mention whether or not, and I assume that this is the case, but they'll die if they lose the games, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Sulin would for sure with the yeah, gun yeah, game. Yeah, with the gun one, but the other one. The orbit is also on a timer. It's going to blow up. Yeah, I that's think. the thing as well. <laughs> mention that's about to blow because that was part of gambit's orders to make yep. it to blow yep. any oh yeah belkov contacts gambit this is before what is this after no it's before all this it's before all this and he's like all right now put yourself into self-destruct mode gambit and she's like i can't do that and he's like why not so and she's actually like a real 2001 space odyssey moment in a way. and then she's like okay well i'll do it but then i'm also going to send you on a course to crash into the the black hole and he's yeah. like wait what <laughs> yeah there's a black hole right over there you never noticed it which is named cygnus xl really i didn't notice that yeah huh it's named cygnus xl because that's the solution to avon's part of the challenge is to identify the next star in the sequence and yeah. he identifies oh, yeah, 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 it as yeah, yeah. Cygnus XL yeah. because it's a black hole, which isn't actually a star. Cygnus yeah. is the swan, like in Greek mythology, when Zeus Whoa. turned himself into a swan Whoa. and okay. raped, what's her name? There are a lot more Greek connections in this than I think we originally realized. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what they say, it's all uh, Greek to me. <laughs> and on that bombshell... <laughs> Villa's challenge is to like break through a door that would take him 30 minutes to bypass normally and they've only got eight but he just like lifts Belkov's fingerprint off yeah. the flight simulator I liked this I liked how Villa like they all how he MacGyvered this yeah because they all I mean Tarrant was unsure of himself but they all sort of just sat down and they're like alright gotta use my skill and then Villa's like wait a minute we just need some dust and then we just need this this, this then- glass plate that I'm <laughs> not even sure where we got it from <laughs> He's like, let's hope one of these fingerprints is Belkov's. <laughs> Would have sucked if it wasn't. Good, yeah. And then like we said, Avon's was to identify a star. And then he does it. And then they're like, all right, let's get the crystals. And Avon's like, just kidding. There are no crystals. <laughs> yeah, you get the impression that Avon was clued into this for the entire time. Except there are crystals there because they beam back to the ship. And then this, 
they they're like getting sucked into something, the black hole, I think. Yeah. And and they have to put put it into like overdrive, really step on the gas. Yeah, and to get out of there, Avon suggests blowing up the crystals on the orbiter because the explosion will generate a shockwave that can ride out of. Yeah, the... you know what? I specifically remember this. I specifically oh. remember that I didn't pay attention to the explanation. And I was like, wait a minute, what are they about to do? Ah, you know, whatever. I'm not going to rewind. I'm not going to go back. Well, Avon throws some more shade at Orac because he doesn't think it'll work. And Avon's like, well, a negative force far away can be counted by a positive force close by. And they blow up the orbiter. But he says the reason why the orbiter would blow up is because there are crystals on there that would explode and release a lot of energy. And now I was like, wait a minute. Not three minutes ago, you were like, there are no crystals on this orbiter. <laughs> <laughs> But there were, but now there aren't because maybe he was just like preemptively being like, yeah, we're going to blow them all up so there are no crystals here. <laughs> but the thing is, they, in his are, head, he's like, we're going to blow all these up in like 30 seconds. <laughs> just like, oh, I can't wait to see the look on Phyllis's face when we blow all these crystals up. That was the whole reason for all of this is Avon's like, man, I can't wait to see what Villa's going to do. Little did he know that Villa swiped some crystals. Little did Villa know their face. Yeah. Avon just like rips the, because they're on like a string, like ancient money to mm-hmm. indicate their value. Actually, I'm pretty sure that wasn't, you know, the case. Yeah. But they're on the string. Avon pulls them off and he's like, smashes guess what? Them. Smashes them up. He's like, they weren't real. I don't know. He says some witty line and it ends in Blake 7 moment. Yeah. This exploding the, the spaceship to escape the black hole reminded me of Star Trek, the 2009 reboot where they did the same thing. Except it wasn't an orbiter. They ejected, I think it was, they ejected the warp core and blew it up to create an explosion to launch them out of the black hole. I think that's what happened. They also uh, did something similar in Solo. Also did something similar in Dawn of the Gods. They also did something similar in Star Trek Discovery, (laughs) another Star Trek (laughs) connection. Yeah, but you know, I just thought of this. What if the crystals actually were real? And they're mm-hmm. just, like, the entire thing was like, you thought these crystals were indestructible, but they're actually as soft as... <laughs> and everyone just smashed wall. real crystals and is throwing them away. And why did they just blow up in his hand? <laughs> How did he know they were fake? Like, what if they were real and he went to smash it and it just blew up and blew a hole in the side of the Scorpio? <laughs> they have that repairing gun, I think, still. Yeah, but Avon would be dead. <laughs> Well, they can just use the repairing gun on Avon. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> like, oh, man, dude, you have a big hole in your chest. Let's see if we can fix that up. And they use the repairing gun to start yeah. a plate of metal on his <laughs> chest. Oh, boy. So how Italian nation do games? I, uh, I'm going to go with something a little controversial here. Right. And I'm not even sure that this is how Italian nation right. would do it. I don't think Servaland would be in this. That is controversial. Because I think Terry Nation... What's your justification? <laughs> this is where it falls apart a little bit. What? <laughs> if it falls that, apart and the justification wasn't ever strong just, to begin with. Okay, so Terry Nation often included Servaland as we see at the tail end of Series A where she was in every episode, as we see at the tail end of Series B where she was in every episode. Right. But he was also very clued into how good you can make a story with, like, them going after, like, you know, an Ensor-like figure or a Belkov-like figure Mm -hmm. or have, like, this specific guy they're going after who's well-known or interesting or whatever. I think Belkov would have been as interesting as he was, and he was, or or even a little more, a little more fleshed out. Mm -hmm. And Servaland wouldn't have been a part of this. There would have been other conflicts. What those would have been, I don't know, but... 
I was actually thinking something similar, but not exactly the same. I was thinking Serverland at best would just show up on a view screen communicating and Belkov would like be working for her or something. Like, Maybe. In, like I don't think... See, I didn't, I didn't go as far as cutting Serverland out completely, mm-hmm. but I think I was thinking along the same lines uh, as you were that, you know, Terry Nation liked to reuse Serverland, but <laughs> he also knew when to reuse Serverland. Yeah, that's the thing too. Which is why kind of in my mind, I was thinking like, well, maybe Serverland just shows up to like brief Belkov on the Scorpio crew and like, that's it, maybe. Yeah, maybe also pointing to our idea of like, I don't know if we said if whether or not Terry Nation would do this, but like have Sleer be a reveal that Sleer mm-hmm. is Serverland like yeah. midway through or whatever. But that's also the thing is I feel like Ser- Serverland in Series D is a lot less well paced because Series A and B, she did show up like back to back near the end, but like... It was always very, like, you know, well-paced when Servaland and Travis would show up. Well, I think her motives in Series D are a lot less clear, and I think that's why she feels less paced. Series yeah. A through C, you knew what Servaland wanted. Servaland wanted the Liberator crew dead because she was the head of the, like, security faction and because they were a big thorn in her side. You know, and then Series C was, like, she staged a coup and she's taking over the Federation. She wants... Yeah. She wants power. She wants the Liberator. Series D, her motives are a little less clear because the Federation is in shambles, right, still. Servaland doesn't seem to have made a lot of progress. She's alleged to be dead, and we don't really know what she's, like, trying to do. Is she trying to reestablish the Federation as a big empire? Does she want Avon specifically dead? Is that her primary goal? Like, I think it's a little unclear, like, what her overall plot is. Yeah, we don't even, like... We don't even really know, like, why she's keeping up the Sleer alias. I mean, after Traitor, we can, I can see why she did it in Traitor. Mm-hmm. But, like, after that, you know, yeah. why is she keeping this up? You know, you think using the name of Servaland would give her a lot more power. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of power in a name, and Servaland was a name that was feared throughout the galaxy. So to use this alias for multiple weeks now is, yeah. on her part, a questionable decision. Yeah. And, you know, Servaland feels kind of similar to... Uh, how the Liberator crew felt in Series C, which is a little aimless. Mm-hmm. You know, because Series A and B was very clear that she wanted to rise up the ranks of the Federation. In Series C, she was trying to reestablish power, get mm-hmm. the Liberator, you know, whatever. In Series D, it's... Mm, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think so that... Terry Nation, what we do, I think... We're actually in, like, somewhat agreement there, even though you stated... <laughs> took it to its logical extreme. Took it to its extreme. I think maybe, otherwise the plot of the episode would actually play out pretty similarly. Maybe there'd be more games, actually. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And the thing is, maybe maybe at the end of this, we'll listen to all our... What, how, what would Terry Nation do? And string it all together is, like, Servaline would have a goal type thing. Yeah. I think that's what it is. And I think somehow in our Blake episode, possibly the what would Terry Nation segment can evolve into you know let's look at our terry nation versions of these episodes and see what the season looks like at the end yeah because <laughs> it, it would be it would be interesting do that in the retrospective yeah we might want to actually put that in the in the retrospective um speaking just, of yeah retroactively specting <laughs> a couple corrections from twitter not really corrections but this, yeah, just corrections things people of in twitter and people things people places. pointed out a few weeks ago actually i, th- I think a a month ago or even more, um, we were wondering whether Glynis Barber had a previous role on Blake 7. It turns out she did. St. Clinton pointed out on Twitter Twitter mm-hmm. that she played a mutoid in Project Avalon. And we were wondering who the youngest... We are wondering whether Josette Simon was the youngest in the cast, and she yeah. was. 
Yeah. He was born in 1960. Yeah. So. Yep. And uh, also just wanted to mention, because I know I put it in the show notes, we didn't actually mention it on recording, that Chris Ridd was the one who brought up uh, Celebrity Pointless, the recent episode with Paul Darrow. Classic Pointless. And Michael Where we discovered that, Abel, that Paul Darrow, I call him Abel, Paul Darrow doesn't have any legs anymore. Yeah, well, you are, I mean, I don't know about you, but I always interchange, like, I, was, I would always call... Paul Darrow, Avon, and Avon Paul Darrow. That's for every actor. Well, he was in that Doctor Who that one time with as that guy with that long hair, that fabulous long hair. I don't yeah, know he was remember. in um, The Mutants, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. And Michael Keating was in The Sunmakers. But anyway, that was at Chris Ridd on Twitter. All right, so we have two emails and one comment this week to get through. And one of the emails is like two lines, so it'll be easy. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to start with an email from RG, regular correspondent, and he'll be on the episode next week, actually. Uh, games. Dear Zenith Gamers, Dana and Sulin have been allowed to sit together on Scorpio. I wonder how long it will be before they get the giggles. We see our first game of the episode, 3D Chess. I prefer the Liberator, but the Scorpio model work is very good. The logo and gameplay on the shooting game are very reminiscent of early video games like Space Invaders and a precursor to shooting games like Virtua Cop and Time Crisis. It's nice to see that Serverland's outfits are getting more practical for wear on Alien Planet. Never mind, she just turned around. The dialogue in this episode is particularly good, and Jacqueline Pierce delivers her lines perfectly. Usually when the Blake 7 crew lands on another planet, they all turn around in a quick circle with their guns at the ready. On this occasion, they can't be bothered, and all just stand there on top of a hill. <laughs> the guard Dana shoots deserves a medal for slowest death in Blake 7. At one stage, I didn't think he was g- going to even hit the ground. Nice bit of playful banter between Dana and Tarrant. It's funny Tarrant blaming Villa when they are discovered. It's not exactly like they were being hidden by a tiny pile of rubble. When Dana's so handy with a gun, it's not really clear why the Blake's having crew thought they needed Sulin. Dana's in fine killing form this episode. <laughs> nice bit of slapstick comedy with Villa's hand being stepped on. The BBC can do explosions well when they want to. Orak is being bitten by Gam- beaten by Gambit at chess. He's not so smart as he... Th- He's not so think as he smarts he is. I get it now. Villa calls Gambit Madame. Lol. Then he goes on to save the day. He's handy with a gun, which I never realized. My favorite Sulin part in all of Blake 7 is her shootout against herself. Finally a game worth playing. I guess Blake 7 did need another gunslinger after all. We get to watch Tarrant play with his joystick. I'll see myself out. He's a bit shit. Couldn't even land on the planet. <laughs> Obviously hasn't played enough No Man's Sky. Avon presses all the buttons. Gambit turns out to be a bit of a legend, sending Belkov into a black hole. <laughs> Stratford Johns did a brilliant job playing Belkov, I think. This episode is weird from the point of view that a lot happened, yet the overarching plot didn't move forward. Down and save. RG. I agree with that last statement. Yeah, it seems like a lot happened, but like not a lot happened at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> the micro the micro was a lot, but the macro was not. Hey, that rhymed. Whoa. 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 <laughs> Whoa. Oh, it did not mean for that to rhyme. Uh, otherwise, I think you hit on everything that we hit on. Yep. Uh, oh, we didn't mention Villa's hand being stepped on. Mainly because I... I don't even remember what that is now that it's a week later. Well, he, like, hides in that little ditch next to that hole, but he was too slow to bring his hand down, so his hand gets stepped on. He goes, ah. Yeah, I'm not ringing any bells. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I even tried bother. Add it to my rewatch list. Would you rewatch games? Yeah, I'd rewatch any Blake 7 episode. Including animals? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our second email is from Sergeant Drano. Sergeant Drano's email says, 
Hey guys, so games, pretty good one, I think. Avon and Sulin make a good team. Avon is appropriately devious. Villa gets some time to shine, even gets to shoot a trooper to death. I do like those little clipped lens. Belkov and Gambit feel like well-fleshed out characters. Strangely, don't have too much to say about this one. Five out of seven. Sergeant Trainer Station 7 the door. Well, Sergeant Drano, that's probably the shortest email you've ever sent me, except for the one that says, yeah, that sounds good for when I asked you what time we were recording, so. <laughs> Not much to Be respond to there. curious to know what, what you knocked off the two points for, because you seem pretty yeah. positive overall. You seem positive, but you did you did give it a five out of seven. Unless you start at like a zero and work you your way up. You just add points. To seven, you know. Maybe that's how you ended up with a two for Assassin, which I still disagree with. Yeah. I don't think Assassin is as bad as Animals or on the same level as Animals, which you also gave it to, too. Yeah, yeah I'm going to have to ask you about that, <laughs> Mr. Sergeant Drano. <laughs> Finally, we have a comment on the website from Jürgen. Uh, this one was actually on our Headhunter episode. However, uh, the comment was made after we recorded everything for that week, so it's making it into this episode. Hey, guys, interesting discussion again. Yes, this story was like Frankenstein, I actually got the book at a charity shop in London the other day and then proceeded to give it to a Kiwi Blake 7 enthusiast. She was a member of the only fan club for devotees of this show in New Zealand to read. Smiley face. Great how Su Lin gets her moment to shine. Don't you just love Glennis's delivery? I watched part of the episode of the game show you mentioned. I knew Paul was unwell, but like you, I was shocked to find out he had lost both legs. When I watched this episode for the first time on Belgian TV as a kid, I was too scared to watch after they mentioned the head was missing. I had to sit... Next to the television set when they opened the box. God, how innocent I was. I did actually like Ensor. He was quite funny and sweet. I felt sorry for him when he died. Just trying to think back to Headhunter now. <laughs> yeah. Trying to think back to the plot of that episode. Gotta reach deep. Gotta reach back to one week ago. Yeah, two, two weeks ago. Two weeks, two ago. weeks ago. Still. <laughs> Still. Yeah, I agree. I think is kind of what I have to say about that as well. Yeah, the Paul Darrow losing his legs thing is... I mean, I know we joked about it being the biggest shock of this podcast, but it actually is, like, yeah. one of the biggest shocks. Well, I didn't know he was that, or had been yeah. that unwell. I don't remember why he had to get them amputated. There was some reason for it. I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously, it wasn't just like, yeah, you know what I'm going to do today? It's below the knees, right? Or was it a... I couldn't tell. I think it's below the knees. From the I picture I saw. I don't remember. Other than that, he looks like he's doing good. Good. Glad to see he still has some... Some uh, banter, you know, going on with between him and uh, Michael, Michael Keating. Keating. Yeah, I feel like th- those two of all the people on Blake Seven would become the closest friends at the end of the show, except for maybe Darrow and Boucher. Yeah, I mean, well, they were the only two cast members who were there from the beginning to the end. So. Yeah, they worked on the show for oh, well, and um, nearly Jacqueline five years. Peters, so yeah, so. That actually wraps up our uh, email responses for this week. Not a lot, but still, we, as always, we do appreciate it when we get correspondence from our listeners. Yeah. And basically, we're asking for our fans to, and you know, even if you're not a fan of Zenith, you can you can email us, I guess. Yeah, anyone. Email, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or we'll leave comment a comment on the, on the website. website. Just, you know kind of pitching your fantasy version of Blake 7 like fantasy football but for Blake 7 uh, right, do you so want playing the characters who would you have doing scripts script editing producer whatever you want story ideas story you, you ideas can, you can set this in like you know an alternate history where series 
E happened, I guess, yeah. or like a, a reboot or something. You know, you just you can do whatever you or want. Or like from the 80s, like in the era of Blake 7, if you could cast anyone, who would do it? If you could draw from any era, who would you cast? Yeah. You can do whatever you want with it, really. <laughs> like it's very open-ended and it's open-ended intentionally. Right. And on our final episode, which we'll be releasing the week after The Way Ahead, we'll be releasing one final wrap-up episode for Zenith. On that episode, we'll be going over people's fantasy kind of... Blake Seven will be pitching our own as well. Yeah, and just reflecting on the and podcast, just reflecting probably. on the podcast and the show, and looking back fondly on what we've done. <laughs> looking back fondly on how we burned ourselves out. <laughs> so again, the four sort of channels you can yeah you can pitch your idea on or email mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website. So if you would like to email us, you can reach us at thedoctoradecadivevegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry fans, love letters, your thoughts on Blake 7 as it rapidly comes to a close. Starting from next week, I believe we have a string of three crossovers in a row, which yes. I'm going to go ahead and give you those right now, and then we'll have a one-week break. We have one episode in there unclaimed, and then we end with Blake, which will be another crossover. So uh, next week for Sand, we have RG back on the show. Then we have Gold, where we are joined by Maurice, who has not joined us on the show yet, who was an email correspondent with us. The week after that for Orbit, we'll be joined by Sergeant Drano once again, making his return, his triumphant return. <laughs> uh, Warlord, currently we don't have a crossover planned, but I was thinking of maybe reaching out to Making Blake 7, since I know you wanted to be on one more time before the show ends. Uh, and then for the final week for Blake, we are joined by Jim and Martin of the Crinoid Podcast, which is a Doctor Who podcast, which we've been trying really hard to get that uh, set up for... A long time now, actually. I'm really glad that it's yeah, it's kind of come together now. Yeah, it worked out. And so that's kind of what it's looking like for the end of the season. And then we'll do the, the way ahead. Yep. The way ahead. The audio. The audio the week after Blake. Audio. And then after that, we do the retrospective. So that's two months and the show is done. Yep. Hard to believe. Yeah, it actually, it really is. I'm glad we're going yeah. out with a bang, to be honest. Yeah. We're going out with all these crossovers and retrospectives. It's going to be great. Yeah. I'm honestly really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. And so if you would like to find us on YouTube, you can find us at Decadive Vegetable, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake 7 podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you liked the show. Check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Sand with, like we said, RG. But until then, the end.